was that the escapism you needed in football, MK? I thought it was a stupid story. What the hell am I seeing Sylvester Stallone and Pele? But like, what the hell is with Michael Caine? What army are they a part of? Like, I don't understand. It was, it was her, like, I just thought it was horrendous casting, but I understand why they did it. But yeah, it's number one on this list. So it must be great compared to everything else. Hello, and welcome to the episode of Geek Sweat which is called Hot Topic. Today, we are going to be exploring a new episode in a segment, which is alongside our other segments that include Cult Film, The MKH Club, Inspiration Interview, Dom's Docs, and Review Sweat. Uh, today's Hot Topic is about football movies, and joining me on the subspent in the commentary area, even today, is MKH. Good day. And our seasoned professional, Stephen. Well, I'm still down on the bench. You're going to have to wait for me to get out to the commentary box, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, do you want to be the, um, the, the John Watson on the, uh, on the pitch line with the big woolly jacket? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks for joining me on this episode, guys. Um, we have a varying degree of interest in football between three of us. So um, I think it might be wise to kind of put our cards on the table uh, about any allegiances or biases that we may have. So MKH, what is your perhaps love or hate or interest in the football world at the moment? In the football world? I don't... Um, well... If, if we're talking about current day, it's just a bunch of like shaved prima donna millionaires running on the pitch. So I don't think they are any role models to look up to. So I've, I've really disconnected myself from football. I think for me, the, the golden age of football in relation to my age was probably 1990 to 1996. Okay. I think that was like the golden era where everyone still kind of came from a um a working class background and they kind of were still there throughout their career it's only we've seen the turn of the millennium that they've they've been able to become cristiano ronaldo and buy their own islands you not like working class people making money to eat are you against no i that? don't think it, i don't think it's <laughs> i don't think that's the issue because i think now a lot more um you see that people in the academy are like second generation footballers so their parents were footballers so they've been able to get them started really young like we're going to see that when Re Wayne Rooney's children get signed and obviously we didn't see that with the Beckhams because they all wanted to be models but I think that's what we're going to start seeing it's no longer going to be a working class game and given recent events um, <laughs> they really want to grab it away from um, the working class. I just want to say something MKH because you mentioned 1990 to 96 I mean that was the era of Italian 90, where Pavarotti made his famous stamp with Ness and Dorma on um, the football world. Um, well, Italian 90 is actually the kind of turning point in the game where it went from like, kind of this um, game in the 80s, which was kind of looked down upon as kind of a hotbed of hooliganism and racism. And it was only a working class thing, whereas Italian 90 turned football into them. Um, and the um, invention of the Premier League, like two years later, that they would have things in kind of bringing football to the middle classes. And now in the kind of, I mean, the footballers are still working class. I mean, I can see what MKH is saying about 
footballers, um, maybe footballers' sons, and will get the kind of. But you know, they're still going to be predominantly working class kids getting through and making and making the money, and um, that's that's what happened. The early nineties is when football changed, when it became a middle class concern rather than just a working class concern. It was kind of rehabilitated in the eyes of the general mm. public. I was sorry. I just wanted to say though, there were some certain landmarks in international tournaments because you had um, the Italian ninety. Uh, I think the America hosted the World Cup in nineteen ninety four, and um, England were the nearly men when they hosted the European yeah, Euro ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. So I think those three events, like for my psyche, those international events were like the glory days of football. I wasn't really concerned with the domestic game. Again, like what we're seeing um, reoccur with the invention of the Premier League was a was a was basically a cash grab for the richest clubs. And just to, uh, I guess, uh, respond to Stephen saying that it's still going to be majority working class game, it definitely will. But I just don't think those working class kids are going to be in the top divisions. They're not going to be going to a European Super League or a um, Premiership and stuff like that. I think they're going to be um, cast in the championship downwards. Yeah. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Stephen, what, what's your interest in football? Because I think your interest is a little bit more obvious and a little more domestic by comparison to uh, MKH. Well, obviously, being from Cornwall, I'm a Man United fan. And, um... <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> Well, everyone, well, the thing about Cornwall, Cornwall is like a rugby county. It's the only, like, apart from like Wales and Scotland, it's the only place in Britain where rugby is the working class game and football is seen as a bit lardy dark and a bit sure. upper class. Because you're so, yeah. yeah, and um, we have no league, there's no league team in Cornwall, so everyone there supports basically Maynard or Liverpool. And that was what it's like when I was a kid. It was like, but I, I, I never chose Maynard. I support Maynard. I watched the FA Cup final in 85. They chose you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, the FA Cup for 85. In about halfway through the second half, Kevin Moran gets sent off for May United after committing a professional foul. And I was like nine, and that really upset me because I was like, it's his big day, it's the cup final. You can't send him off. And so I really, really wanted United to win that game just to kind of just to yeah, make him fit. Yeah, and I just kept on supporting United from then on. And I never chose. I just kind of kept on, you know, next season started and it's like, oh, United are playing. I, Let's see how they get on. And that's how I became a United fan. So you saw that moment in that cup final as United being the underdogs. Wow. Well, they were the underdogs anyway, because Everton were going for, I think, the double. And um, so United were kind of the team that, and United weren't great in the mid 80s. But, and then, of course, to lose a man, it was like, oh no, uh, I was so upset for him. Of course, I look back at it now, and he was it was right to be sent off. It was a yeah. terrible, terrible <laughs> <battle. laughs> But I didn't know that at the time. Back in the day but, when football was football and men were men yeah, and tackles yeah. were tackles. So I've just supported United ever since without any real choice about it. It just kind of just happened. That's oh. interesting. So why does Trevor, TJ, why do you support Liverpool? Okay, so instead of uh, coming up with the excuse that the red life, I didn't choose the red devil's life. The red devil's life chose me. Um, I am a product, I think, of indoctrination. Um, my dad um, came over to England at a time in the 60s where Leeds were the predominant power or mega force of um, English football, and they managed to qualify for European qualification of football 
uh, 10 seasons in a row, which is a feat that hadn't been achieved by another British club and perhaps not even many clubs in Europe for a long time. They should have, they should have been European champions. They were, they were. Yeah, they were very, I think they were very close to being, um, I think they lost the league title because they had to play an FA Cup final on a Saturday and a league title winning game on a Monday. And then in European Cup final against, um, against uh, Bayern Munich, I think. Yeah. In which, I mean, it was basically fixed. The, the referee yeah. was, Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> let's not get ourselves into a lively situation later on down the line. Isn't the guy yeah. dead? Who's going to sue us? <laughs> <laughs> I think Franz Beckenbauer is still knocking around, so he might be holding the legal keys for Bayern Munich. But um, yeah, my dad grew up with Leeds United, uh, Don Revy era, uh, Billy Bremner and uh, Norman Bartley-Lurks Hunter. And um, my brother, obviously being the firstborn, um, he was indoctrinated by my dad's indoctrination uh, so he had to support Leeds as well. But when I came along, um, it was the 80s and there was more football on TV. So there were shows like The Big Match and stuff. And they tended to rotate in the schedule, um, basically what was considered the big five teams, which is Liverpool, Arsenal, then Man United, I think Everton. I'm not sure. Maybe Spurs were in that group as well. And um, yeah, so basically... Five. Yeah, is that right? They were in a big five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. United, so two London teams, your two Northern teams, and um, or two Gauss teams and Man United. So what happened is, um, I think my dad had said, like, you can't just be supporting every team that comes on the TV. You have to just pick one. So that obviously excluded Leeds. And um, I think one day Liverpool and Everton were playing. And I think Liverpool won like 2-1 or so. Is even Liverpool and Everton or Liverpool Arsenal? So I decided I'll pick the team that won that weekend and it turned out to be Liverpool. And then they just went out and just won almost every other trophy for 10 years. We could, have both ended up, we could have easily both ended up as Everton fans. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Very easily. Everton fan had been sent off. If an Everton yeah. player had been in that cup final. Yeah. Who knows? But what the irony, a life I'd have had. Yeah. I mean, the irony of that is um, two of uh, Liverpool's most famous players, Steven Gerrard, and Jamie Carragher, they're famously Everton fans, or they were Everton fans before they became Liverpool Academy players. Traitors. But um, <clears throat> we, need, we need to kind of step into the world of film and maybe even a bit of television to work out what is it that's appealing to us in um, the film world of football and how well it's been represented. So we are going to take a look at a uh, web page, a bit of inspiration called Top 10 Football Movies of All Time, from Escape to Victory to Bend It Like Beckham, um, which is a goal.com article. But I'd also like to see some, um, make some references to other films that have come out, in, which have been either films, biopics or documentaries in what we call football in England or what the Americans might call soccer league football. So um, do you have any particular, do either of you guys have any particular um, Football film that was inspiring to you uh, in the younger days of getting into football? Um, not, not when I was a kid. No, I don't remember football films when I was a kid. I must have seen Escape to Victory when I was a kid. Yeah, for the first okay. time. But it's weird because film and football, because football is its own drama. And so with a film about football, then you're making a drama about dramas. Yeah. So you never, you don't really get in football, you don't get. Movies about football are very rarely about achievement in football. They're not about, you know, there's never been a treble movie or a Liverpool 
shitty treble movie, you know, <laughs> you know, or like a movie about the 86 World Cup with someone playing Maradona. You get more kind of personal stories in it. And uh, if it's based on reality, it tends to be a little bit more obtuse. It's not about the actual the games that are played. Um, so, but Escape to Victory is the one I remember from being a kid, obviously, because that was, you know, it's crazy. It's, a kid. it's like, what is this film? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, we'll get into Escape to Victory as, as our final whistle film. But um, funnily enough, it came into uh, Inception, or it came into the cinemas in the same year as Gregory's Girl, which is something I'd like to talk about or open up with. Um, MKH, is there like an inspirational football film tied to your memories of youth and watching football for you? Um, absolutely not. But what I will say, when it comes to football films, when it's fiction, it football is always the background. Yeah. Uh, so it's just uh, the scenery. And if you want to watch a, a true a football film in its essence, you would have to go to documentaries. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think <laughs> the film that stood out to me and it had a lot of football in it was probably She's the Man. And okay. I know it's the most pansy <laughs> American, yeah. Yeah, American film that you could ever think of, but because um, obviously it's based on a Shakespeare um, play as well. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that kind of stood out for me. I, I just thought it was quite funny. But um, yeah, cool. I, I, just, I just think, um, and in terms of drama about football, I think the best films are probably hooligan films. So stuff yeah. like Green Street <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, okay. Well, this is the interesting thing I found about football films because um, from TV series, um, there was a kind of a Geordie-based uh, series on BBC called uh, Jossie's Giants, which is uh, basically about a group of hapless losers playing football week in, week out. But when you move away from the TV world into uh, film, it seems that football can be classified as two different things or maybe three different things. It's the biopic documentary the uh, we got players in the team that need to be better, coached by a better coach or supported by a better player. Or it seems to be the football fight film. And I think the thing that drew my attention most was a 1989 film called The Firm by Gary Oldman, which features um, other stars such as Leslie Manfield, Phil Davis and Steve McFadden, who I think is now more famous for playing... Um, uh, big Phil Mitchell in the EastEnders. And so um, that's an Alan Clark directed film and um, BBC produced it or, or distributed it at least, came out in uh, February 1989. And that was just basically about the firm or a gang of uh, thugs who used to go to games to cause riot and havoc and uh, basically show off their reputation as the toughest, biggest, baddest squad in the... Um, on the football terraces. But I think it's an excellent performance from um, Gary Oldman, which kind of shows his range and his ability to go from like lowly estate family man to kind of um, sociopathic thug sort of thing. Is it Gary Oldman's sister, uh, Big Mo? Yep. Yeah. As well in EastEnders. Oh yeah, so that's another connection to EastEnders. So, what do you think about the infiltration of um, football thuggery, not just in football, but in the actual film world itself? Because like MKH mentioned, we've got Green Street, there's the lesser known film ID, which was filmed at Leighton Orient Stadium. Cass as well. You've got Cass. Yeah, Cass. Black Hooligan. Football, yeah, Football Factory as well. Yeah. But Cass is an interesting one because um, 
that's more or less a that's crossing over into the biopic territory. It's not actually fiction, and it's actually about the history of um, the West Ham firm. I want to say it's the inner city firm. I don't want to kind of cross lines here, but I think it was when Cass was this kind of fostered black child who kind of found his identity through yeah. being the most powerful fighter on the street outside football stadiums. Well, he was a big lad, but yeah. I, I do feel that even though yeah, Cass was a a more of a biopic. I think that um, a lot of Green Street and the Football Factory are based off real life events, like because football hooliganism was a massive part. Like regardless of how we feel, it was a massive part of football. Yeah, and- well, they, I mean, they were going to the games. They didn't really give a shit about whether they won or lost. It was about the fight afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't deny the. Um, the impact it had on the game and to the point where to this day you can't have Millwall fans and West Ham fans in the same stadium without heavy amounts of security. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. I um I think I think in terms of um and we see that today even. So you go to Russia and you see the football games, you still got these type of neo-Nazi slash um, I can't remember what their names. Ultras. That's what they. Yeah. That's what their names yeah, are. Yeah. To this, like, I can't imagine what type of film would be produced if they, if, if they base it on those guys, like carrying machetes and stuff. So I think. Can I jump in there, MKH? Because there is actually a 2020 Netflix production called Ultras, uh, which is about one hour, yeah, one hour forty-eight minutes. Um, I'm not sure which um, group it is contending because I think there's an Ultras in the Italy. Yeah, so um, I'll just read a quick synopsis. An aging soccer fanatic faces down the reality of his past while struggling to give himself a younger follower for very different rules. But I feel like The Ultras is more of an Italian drama about a group who spend their whole life at a stadium, but they're living for violence, clashes, and as well as the passion for football. And I think the, the interesting thing I just want to add is how football legends and terrorist legends are almost given the same iconic reverence in the football film world. And I just say, I, like before we, we move on, I think the reason they focus on hooligans as well is because they are the most colourful characters when you look at the makeup of football. Because sure. if you weren't making stories about those guys, you'd just be making stories about a ordinary dude that, that purchased a season ticket and yeah. happily goes to a game every single week and gets a hot dog at halftime. Like, that's so boring, just me rattling off those yeah. <laughs> those steps. So I think yeah. that's why you have to focus on the hooligan element or you focus on footballers' wives and the drama that footballers actually get into. We've mm. seen that in footballers' wives and we've seen that in Dream Team. I think if you look at football, it's really quite silly that, mm. um, yeah, there's so much passion for just watching guys kick around a bit of leather. But yeah. um, And that's why you have to... Uh, do these types of films that gear towards more drama and comedy, I feel. I just want to say one thing about ID again, because uh, this is a 1995 uh, co-production, uh, British-German, uh, by the BBC Films about football hooliganism. And uh, it's got a main character in it called uh, Reese Dinsdale, who's now finding um, TV fame on, uh, I think, Cor- I think he's been on Coronation Street in Emmerdale. But um, ID is literally a story shot in a... London area, particularly um, around Shadwell in East London, which features 
Priest Dinsdale, uh, Sean Pertwee, obviously son of a Doctor Who, uh, is most one of my more infamous uh, Doctors, and uh, Warren Clark. And the interesting thing about ID is they take a story where it's it's like a Donnie Brasco before Donnie Brasco came out, where a Metropolitan Police Officer goes undercover to infiltrate a gang of dangerous football hooligans, but he gets psychologically twisted. And he starts to love the violence more than the policing world himself, and it's hard to he, he kind of gets himself immersed in the culture. So I always found that an interesting football story to make reference to. Yeah, it's just about, I mean, it's just about people like watching working class people fight. That that's that's one of the reasons they're popular. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. Like another branch off of the British gangster movie and kind of, you know, we we like a bit of fighting and guns and blood and knives and. Sure. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a couple of. I've seen the Reese Dinsdale one. Yeah, and that was very good. I, at the end, you kind of think he, he's kind of he's back in the gang, isn't he? Which yeah, one's the Reese Dinsdale one? The, the one, the underco- undercover um, ID. Officer. ID. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it's an almost an excellent template for um, football hooliganism film because you get to see both sides of the story. But let's just have a quick dip onto the pitch again and see the formation uh, that we've got ahead of us. So in the number 10 role, we've got, um, and this is coming back to the goal.com article, we've got Charlene Soccer, which was from 2001, which was directed <coughs> and starring Stephen Chow who charts the rise of a Shaolin Kung Fu master called Singh in the world of Hong Kong football. Now, is Shaolin Soccer from 2001 a film that either of you are familiar with? Yeah, it's a fantastic comedy. What did you think of it, Stephen? I've never heard of it until you just said it. (laughs) (laughs) If you can imagine... Wait, 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 stop. Are you serious? You've never heard of it? Yeah. 2001, there's a whole few years there where, you know, popular cult films, definitely, I wasn't aware of stuff. Wow. <laughs> sure. That was cult status, yeah. I thought, but okay. <laughs> yeah, Shaolin Soccer kind of marries two kind of fan bases of football and martial arts together. And it's almost this kind of ridiculous, wire-worked, um, almost Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon-esque, a uh, mean machine story of a coach who finds out that I think it's one of his uh, uh, martial arts protege has got skills at kicking a ball in a distinct and unique way that helps his team win football matches. And it was, um, I mean, it was treated like a comedy. And I think this guy went on to do a few other martial arts comedy films. But what were your impressions of it, MKH, when you first saw Shannon Sokol found out that? It was a live action anime. Like none of the none of the soccer, as they called it, made any sense. Like you yeah. had them doing power kicks across yeah. a pitch, and you had all these different characters. It was it was very ridiculous. And I think I've seen interviews with Stephen Chow, and he he was he's more of a comedian, yeah, as opposed to a martial artist. Yeah, yeah. So he does feature martial arts in his films, but he focuses more on the comedy. So I thought it was a great comedy. Yeah. Uh, I guess the only reason it was a soccer movie is because they kicked around a ball a couple of times, but they didn't really do any formation. It was just it was just yeah. a mismatch of all like Super Smash Bros or something. But I, yeah, I did I, enjoy I, it. Yeah, I think there was a Super. I'm not sure if Super Smash Bros is. Um, there was a. There was a. I feel like I played the arcade game of um, in the 80s or 90s of like football players jumping like 20 feet in the end doing martial arts. 
kicks onto balls to score goals. But um, just to put an underline on Stephen uh, Chow, he did also do a film called The King of Comedy in 1999, another one called The New King of Comedy, and Kung Fu Hustle is probably the film that he's probably more famous for as director, producer, and actor. Uh, but going down the list, uh, wearing a number nine shirt, which is more familiar to uh, Stephen, is Looking for Eric, the Ken Loach yeah. offering about football life and philosophy. Uh, Stephen, what did you think about that film? I think it should be at number seven. but um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference um, to Cantona's show. Obviously, you know, uh, as a Man United fan, Eric Cantona is like m- maybe my greatest hero as a Man United player. So... It's, yeah. yeah, it's nice. It's how's a football movie without really doing a football movie, isn't it? It's kind of there's no action, I don't think, in it. And it actually makes points about the wider world of football in it, too. It's not just about one guy's breakdown. I mean, if people haven't seen it, it's about a guy who kind of uh, imagines Eric Cantona is giving him advice and he's having yeah. problems at home with his two sons. And yeah, and we should like, make a note of how he imagines him because I, I think he steals some cannabis from his stepson yeah. and it's like a hallucinogenic. Arrival of Cantona, which I think, if you look at how he arrived on the British football scene, I don't. I think some people still won't believe how he arrived and did what he did in such a short space of time. So uh, yeah, so Eric Cantona is kind of like he's, he's like the ultimate cult main United player, I think. So uh, Ken Loach doing this film is kind of uh, tapping into that, and um, it's, it, there's comments on it about kind of like the money in football, like we were talking about at the beginning, because. There's a there's a fan there involved who's who starts supporting FC United. FC United were set up when the Glazers took over Man United as a kind sure. of protest club, a club kind of for fans again. And uh, one of the Man United fans in the film, he's actually gone over to FC United. But there's quite a funny scene where they're watching a match and he's like, he's off to see FC United, and they're watching a Champions League game. United, and he's out. Yeah, he doesn't care anymore. And then everyone cheers. And he runs back in to see if United have scored. So you can't ever really get away from that. But um, yeah, it's an interesting film and um, a, a great kind of um, kind of trippy ending where uh, this gangster guy gets uh, uh, set upon by uh, coach loads of Man United fans dressed in Eric Cantona masks. It's kind oh. of a hallucinatory, hallucinatory scene for him. Oh, goodness. Did, did you get a chance to see uh, Looking for Eric or did you find Looking for Eric, should I say, in Cage? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> it sounds really good, though. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, well, we'll move on um, to the Arsenal Stadium mystery of 1939. This is not something that I've seen and I want to propose a swap on this one if neither of us have seen it so has anyone seen the Arsenal Stadium I've seen it but I saw it years ago I mean it's not really about football it's just set at Arsenal Stadium and yeah. there's Arsenal, Arsenal managers in it I think and a few players yeah. and they use Ibri as the kind of as a location but it's, it's about a, a murder during a game it's it's quite good okay but it's a murder mystery yeah I think it's just a murder mystery I thought it was like uh, the stadium like disappearing or something like that because um, obviously the obvious Arsenal stadium mystery that Tottenham fans would say is that it belongs in Woolwich, uh, South East London and not North London. But that's moving on from that controversy. Um, I would actually like to propose two other films that should fill in a number eight slot. Um, I think, uh, is it Fever Pitch, which starred um, Colin yeah. Firth? That's, is that's probably the, the Arsenal film that should be in there in a the number eight slot. What do you think? That's, 
that's the ultimate kind of uh, um, film, or I mean, it's based on a book, but uh, the film about football being a football fan. I think it's kind of that's what that's about, and how kind of your football fandom how it affects other people in your life. And I, I, I've had lots in when, when I used to do girlfriends and stuff. I, I used to have a lot of kind of arguments about me always having to watch United and you know always and how much I cared about it I'm kind of, I'm much chiller about football now but then I wasn't and you can see yourself in kind of um the main mm. character in the pitch yeah I mean football sees you through like the highs and lows of life and particularly it's like the long-term girlfriend or boyfriend that you don't yeah. really think about and to give it its full title it was a book written by Nick Hornby called Fever Pitch A Fan's Life um, but MKH, did you ever see the film adaptation, which was concentrated on the Arsenal's first division championship winning season in 1988-1989? No, because that was before my time. Yeah. <laughs> no, and to, to be honest, I didn't really care about Arsenal until they became invincible. Yeah. Not that I'm an Arsenal fan, but um, yeah. yeah, I don't think that would uh, particularly um, tickle my lines. Yeah, I mean, the thing is about Fever Pitch, it's a story that builds up to perhaps one of the most dramatic football competition moments um, that's ever been recorded on television. I think the issue is not that it was just a football moment that happened, but I think it's a football moment that happened on television across the nation and the highs and lows um, that people experienced at one time, because you couldn't have written it any other way. It's a story... I still, I still had to win 2-0 at Anfield to win the yeah. league. 1-0 up. Yeah. Basically, last kick of the season. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, to give it to context, it's like Liverpool were like seasoned professionals and had won several trophies up until this point. And the collection of Arsenal players were very younger players. Uh, I think even Tony Adams, the captain, was like, 22 or 23 years old at the time and this would have been their first title win so to have used a last minute goal to get a specific result of scoring two goals and not conceding any away from home in a sort of dragon's den of Anfield is almost like the ultimate um Wait, script scripted story you know was this was this so this wasn't a documentary this didn't happen in real life uh, the score happened in real life, but oh, they okay. attached it to a, roman- okay. a romantic story, which was fictional. Okay, okay. Fair dues. Um. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to just skip past um, number seven called Airbud World Puck 2000 because I, oh! don't, I, I don't think I can respect this. Stephen, what, what's your justification for bringing in the Airbud franchise with the eponymous Golden Retriever buddies? Again, again just heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that was you doing a canine yow going, no. Yeah, yeah. That was ironic, ironic. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, MKH, do you think animals and sports should mix on film? What? What does that even mean? <laughs> because this is about football Airbud World Pup is about football playing dog that helps the all-conquering United States women's national team, which I think is a bit misogynist to kind of say that a women's football team needs a dog to help play football to win the Women's World Cup? Um, I, I remember watching a film about cartoon bunnies winning a basketball tournament. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, it works if it works for me. Okay. okay. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is the main premise of this film is that the 173-cap World Cup winner and Olympic gold medalist Brianna Scurry 
gets injured in the last throws of a penalty shootout, and it seems like she has to be replaced by a dog wearing a shirt number K9. And was it a, was it a female dog, though? Yeah, I don't actually you know what gender equality issues and uh, registration in football. We have to see what happens, but I'm not sure if I can say anything more about uh, Air Pup World World Pup Airbud World Pup anymore. Um, so I just want to swiftly move on to the Football Factory 2004 with Danny Dyer uh, from uh, Rockstar. Danny Games. Dyer, he's Danny. He's a bit more high pitched than Raspy, like he swallowed nails. No, I think he. I think is he grown into Danny Dyer? Now, no, like Danny Dyer, like it's a bit more hype. Yeah, but the but the thing is, what do you think about him playing or following the role of the life of a Chelsea hooligan called Tommy Johnson? How authentic was that for you? I thought it was a bit more upper class. Like yeah. I thought it was it was proper. I I would have preferred him to see him as um as a Millwall or West Ham hooligan. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Do people take Chelsea hooligans seriously? Because whenever you think of Chelsea. You yeah. think of like nice gardens and massive houses, like nah, I, I, they, they, have, they have a a, a a kind of they have a racist a rich, a rich history of racist hooligans. Yeah, all they, I want to say they've, is they've, I'm they've not, got a link. They've got a link with Rangers in Scotland, and they're yeah. all kind of. All, all I'm, I'm taking this from Wikipedia. I'm not advocating it at all, but the Chelsea hooligans were known or are known as the Chelsea headhunters. And they are the football hooligan firm connected to Chelsea. It's uh, it's expected that there's a uh, widespread racism amongst that gang. Uh, white supremacist organisations extend from Chelsea hun- headhunters, including Combat 18, National Front, and uh, Northern Irish loyalist groups such as the Ulster Defence Association. So that's that's gross, one. but it makes sense why they pushed that black French guy off the train in Paris. Do you remember that oh. incident with all those Chelsea yeah. fans? Yeah, oh, yeah. so yeah, it makes sense. Okay. They don't even play at Chelsea. They play in Fulham. <laughs> so The Football Factory, which was a 2004 film, um, which builds up a, a, around a clash between the Chelsea firm and Millwall. Uh, so funny enough, Millwall was involved in the story you was talking about, uh, MKH. Uh, it's supposed to be a great study of violence based on a man who's kind of bored of his life and he wants that sense of belonging uh, with a football fix of... Uh, getting involved in a tribalist side of football. I mean, do you think that's the common stereotype that we see in football hooligan films? And, and are we tired of it yet? No. Um, yeah, I, I was tired of it after I think I'd seen ID and thought, okay, that's good. It never Wait, are you, are you tired of football hooligan films? Are you tired of the same premise? Or I, I, football I, hooligan I, I'm, not, I'm not interested because I kind of, can, you know, I'm not, I know what it's going to be. You know, you know when you know what a film's going to be like. And sure. but that's like, but couldn't you say that of any genre, like a horror film? You know, there's going to be jump scares and stuff yeah, like but, that. I mean, I, I like really love football, basically, apart from everything surrounding it. And um, and so, and but to keep concentrating on a hooligan. I mean, it is better than it was. There isn't. <coughs> but we could not have a film about a guy that just loves football. <laughs> Okay, so but that's Fever Pitch. Or, or, looking, or Looking for Eric. They're both films about people that love film. Well, let, let's go back to the, the kind of the regurgitation of themes that you felt like you've seen before. Because in at number five uh, is Mean Machine 2001, which starred Vinnie Jones and Jason Statham, which is an adaptation of the American football comedy 
featuring uh, Harry, Larry, and very alpha masculine Burt Reynolds from 1974's The Longest Yard. So what what was your thoughts around Mean Machine, um, where Vinnie Jones gets to play uh, Captain Danny the Mean Machine Meehan, who gets banned from the game and imprisoned for match fixing? He is a hooligan, though, isn't he, uh, Vinnie Jones? I wouldn't say right now, but I know he was a hod carrier who became a footballer and he was famous for squeezing Paul Gascoigne's testicles and hacking down Stephen Mann in the FA Cup final night. Yeah, he, he did a lot of that. Like He was basically a thug on the um, on the pitch. So this an was enforcer, a perfect casting. An enforcer. I, I call it a thug. <laughs> but I, he was the perfect casting for this. But I yeah. will say that I preferred the Adam Sandler remake of The Longest Yard as yeah. opposed to this mean, sure. mean, mean machine crud. The thing is, we can't include Adam Sandler because unfortunately that's gridiron football. So that wouldn't make our list. Oh but, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just yeah. saying that I, because I, this was based on a inspiration from the original sure. Longest Yard, which was obviously about American football in prison and stuff like that. So yeah. I just feel that Adam Sandler did more justice to... Um, but we've got a who's who of um, British uh, acting comedy scene because... But it seems heavily influenced by uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels because this is a film that includes Jason Statham, Jason Fleming, uh, Robbie G, Vass Blackwood and Vinnie Jones who are all kind of uh, what you call Guy Ritchie alumni uh, to kind of get this football film over the line. So i just seen here, yeah? it, it features <laughs> Ryan Giggs as a warden. So that's quite funny. Like years later, he might be seeing his own warden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan Giggs has been a bit of a naughty boy at the time of, uh, right of recording, but we have to say allegedly, and we can't delve into the details except for, um, I don't know, gum shield. Anyway. So <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is uh, Mean machine um, is up there as a film. Was it a good film? Did you like the comedy elements of Me Machine or the football elements of it? Um, I guess they were riding high off of the Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels fame, but I, I prefer the dialogue of Lockstock. I don't sure. know. I just don't, I just don't like Vinnie Jones as the main protagonist in every, anything. Yeah. I just don't think he has the gravitas to yeah. carry a film on his back like that. But I understand why they... they um, they cost budget reasons but the thing is it's, it's like when you've got Jason Statham he kind of makes any film happen but yeah Vinnie Jones is he's he's your go-to hard man maybe not your go-to action man and uh, speaking of action uh, the next film we want to talk about which has got an exclamation mark in it of all places is Goal exclamation mark or should I say Goal featuring the story of Mexican busboy Santiago Munez who leaves Los Angeles for the bright lights of Newcastle in the first instalment of Goal. So to give you a bit of background, Goal was made in cooperation with FIFA, uh, not the just the people who made the football game, but the actual production of, uh, oh, not production, the enforcers, as it were, of um, the rules of uh, football. It was propaganda. Yeah. It was propaganda. And interesting enough, for this propaganda film, they've managed to highlight um, some uh, celebrity faces that include David Beckham, Zinedine Zidane, Ronaldo, Thierry Henry, and also the football clubs of Newcastle United and squad players, as well as the football stadium of Liverpool and squad players to go into a head-to-head 
big match at the end of the season, which is, I don't even think it was a European qualifying game. I think it was a relegation avoidance game, which shows Kunu, um, Santiago Munez has the skills to make it in the Premier League. Um, less said about that's the better. Yeah, that's it's a stupid film. Okay. So going from stupid film to uh, why not? Indeed. Uh, number three, uh, Bend It Like Beckham. Why not? Is that because it features females? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Females. Why not? Because why fe- women play football as well. Uh, equal rights, equal pay, equal exposure on the screen. Um, the story includes uh, Parminder Nagra and Kieran Knightley. Uh, in Bend It Like Beckham was actually considered a critical and commercial hit. So what do we think about it? It, it, it gets all the issues in, doesn't it? It does everything. There's a bit of everything. Say it's the social justice warrior's actual dream. Is that what you're saying? Uh, the only thing that came out better was if, I mean, I'm not saying this from a prurient point of view, but if Kira Knightley and um, uh, I was, uh, uh, the one whose name I can't remember, the star, They'd got um, Kira Knightley, yeah, Paminda, yeah. Paminda, so kind of... Well, you want them to kiss. You want them to be a, a, a gay couple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's anyway. <laughs> that's that's only for you. Yeah, that's for your titillation. <laughs> I, I thought they were doing two things because they were doing uh, women in football and also the cultural shift of. Um, I want to get this right. Oh, I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm gonna stick my foot out line. Um, an Indian Sikh community. Um, adopting or adapting to Western culture. So those two platforms that were happening, as well as the kind of semi-romance, which I think was happening one of the coach stories, where, where was the room for a, lesb- a lesbian story? That would have to be a substance. I'm just saying if they're going to take the whole SGAW thing to the whole... To, the, to, to its logical conclusion. But what yeah, I was going to yeah. say, was it football? Wasn't it just a Sunday league? Like, I, I was quite confused how much effort they put into this to this football team, as you put it, because I, I, I thought it was a local like, football team. It was a local, was it local football team? Yeah. Okay. I didn't think so. I, I imagined it just being a Sunday team and they yeah. had them a, a dedicated coach and kits and stuff like that. I thought this is, this is quite a magical land that they live in. That yeah. They had a coach I, I like think that. they got to play in Europe as well at some point in the story. And, um, but yeah, it was just one of those stories, but it made um, a very successful run as a stage musical uh, in the West End from 2015. So um, we're going to try and wrap this up with our top two now. So on the number two, uh, running up from the right back, um, overlapping on the wing, is The Damn United, uh, a 2009 film based on a best-selling novel uh, by David Peace, which actually features the story of the young Brian Clough, who had just recently left, I think it was Derby County Football Club, having taken him into Europe to take over... Uh, and his budding rivalry with the legend of Leeds, Don Revy, and his uh, innocuous season, maybe, where he spent one year managing the league title winners, Leeds United. No, um, not even that. 44 days, isn't it? 44 days, yeah. Managing Leeds United as one of the top two managers in uh, English football. Directed by Tom Hooper, uh, Brian Clough is played by the... Uh, chameleon actor Michael Sheen. What did we think of that? Yes. Um, yeah. Do, I mean, I, I read the book first. There's one. So, and the book is amazing, and the film is good, but the book is amazing. Uh, uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting story. I mean, this is what I think football films 
this, this, stories like this are good for um, for films. Um, they're good material from real football. Um, the, the behind the scenes look at kind of how a how a first division team was run in the seventies and the, the kind of the egos at play and uh, the, the completely different philosophies of kind of Brian Clough and Don Revy. Um, uh, and just the, the kind of, uh, the story of a man kind of not knowing what he's doing and not sure why. And did you feel like Brian Clough? I never, I never saw the story as Brian Clough not knowing what he's doing. I saw it as a, as a challenge of different philosophies because like Don yeah. Revy was like hard men, hard tackling, hard working football. And if you can't put the ball past the opposition, you put mm. the opposition out, take the opposition out. So yeah, the yeah. idea was, um, I think the phrase which is commonly said in football is, if you don't get the ball, get the man. And uh, I think that's the way Leeds practiced and won football. Whereas like Brian Clough is more the beautiful game, pass, pass, shoot, add, try and use accuracy, technique and flair. Yeah. And the interesting thing enough is Michael Sheen actually had some football experience before this film, which actually made him capable of doing some of the football training scenes himself as Brian Clough. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read that basically all that is Peter Taylor, who was um, Brian Clough's assistant. Sure. But Brian Clough basically just sat in the office all week getting drunk. Yeah. That's what I've read. So I don't think there's a bit of an artistic license there where, yeah. you know, he's just... <laughs> and rest in peace, uh, Brian Clough, while Stephen Sully... Yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is an element that there, there was a brains behind the um, success story of um, everything that Brian Clough did in such a yeah. small uh, period of time. But MKH, what's your feelings about the Brian Clough uh, biopic, it felt, called The Damn United? Uh, I preferred the real footage of him like beating up his own fans. I thought that was yeah. quite <laughs> funny. Um, which happened I, yeah. in his Nottingham Forest heyday, which is after he left Leeds. Yeah. yeah, but also what I will say is that I can't look at Michael Sheen without thinking of his character Wesley Snipes in 30 Rock. Like I just think he's just a hilarious face and character actor. But yeah. in terms of this biopic, I think um, it did Mr. Clough justice. I, I did not read the book. I didn't even know there was a book attached to it. I don't read books. Um, takes up too much energy. Um, so I can't give you that type of uh, insight. But um, you know what? I need to, I, what I will say, I found this film dormant on my playstation i didn't even know i purchased it i said oh, why, did I, why, why would i purchase this film yeah and i found it there like luckily so yeah i, I had a, a good gander at it a bit more serious for my liking i like um a bit more comedy and um sex yeah. but, um, <laughs> well yeah, this is maybe great. you have to wait for the ronaldo story you could have done with like c3po and rtd2 like in the background yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, if, if you're listening to this in time or perhaps during the 2021 era, I believe uh, the Damn United is still available on BBC iPlay if anyone can get access to that. But um, we need an escape plan taking it because we're getting into uh, injury time here. Um, we need to exit the story and we're going to exit it with um, an escape, Escape to Victory as the number one film according to Goal. Um, and this is a cluster of celebrities, both famous in football and in film, as we have the likes of Sylvester Stallone in goal, uh, Michael Caine 
um, as a manager and uh, Bobby Moore and Ozzy Ardiles um, starring alongside in this allied prisoners of war planning a daring escape from a Nazi prisoner of war camp through the method of a football match. So the 1981 classic, great, bringing us back to the Christmas Day special in British households uh, today. What do you guys think of um, Escape to Victory? Um, yeah, I mean, Escape, uh, uh, Escape to Victory is kind of based on a true story. I think when they started it, when the film was first uh, mooted, mooted, yeah, mooted, um, it, it it was much more realistic thing in the second world war uh some ukrainian footballers who played for dynamo kiev they were forced to play matches against the nazis and um, you can look up the story on um wikipedia's they're called they were, their name was i was fc start and they sure. kept beating the nazis and um it was kind of based on this but it got completely out of control and you so you have this kind of Big game between the, the the prisoners of war and uh, the Nazi party in in the stadium. It's I mean it's the most the thing that kind of kept it in everyone's mind when I was young is that if you're playing football, everyone trying to do the um, Aussie flick. Oh, um, yeah. And the Aussie flick, I think, is premiered in that. I don't know. He might have done it before on the pit. I'm not sure if it was done before or if he actually kind of. But the Aussie flick is when he flicked the ball back over your over your head forwards over your head and then keep running. I was really shit at it um, yeah. rainbow kick I think it might be called <laughs> no, no I think that's something else is it a rainbow kick I thought it was you, you fold it on the back of your leg and just flick it flick it over yeah 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 flick it over your head going forward okay um, yeah yeah what's your what's your opinion about um, escape to victory Did, was that the escapism you needed in football MK? I thought it was a stupid story. What the hell am I seeing Sylvester Stallone and Pele? Like, like what the hell is with Michael Caine? What army are they a part of? Like, I don't understand. It was, it was her, like, I just thought it was horrendous casting, but I understand why they did it. But yeah, it's number one on this list. So it must be great compared to everything else. Do you know what? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to imagine Pele as a free row, free roll soldier who's just moving onto the left wing before he shoots somebody. Well, when, when he's just, can you not suspend your disbelief and just have fun with it for what was Wait, going on? You have to suspend, like you, you'd have to go into <laughs> like, I don't know, another realm, like, because Pele, Michael Caine, Sylvester Stallone. Like, I can't, I can't even believe like I'm actually saying those those names in a sequence. Obviously, they never worked together after that ever again because it was just so stupid the first time. But the thing is, this film is based on a Hungarian film called Two Half Times in Help 1962, but it's supposed to feature like a cinematic style of like we can still win this mentality with a heroic fight back. And um, the idea is that these prisoners have clubbed together to train for this football match to genuinely win and build morale. But they they want to escape at half time, I think, to. Uh, but Danny realised that they could win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get all that. What What's really concerning for me is that the Germans were so good at war, they were able to capture like three different nations of prisoners and just throw them all into one camp. I thought that was quite interesting. It they wasn't three, there was loads of them. You had Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland, because like John Walker's in it. Um, Scotland was represented, England, Argentina, Brazil, obviously Aussie Ardiles and Pele. But that's what I was saying, like, like 
Polish as well. It kind of suggests that the Nazis should have won the war. Like that's how good they were at capturing people, making them oh, play f- yeah, yeah, football yeah. for their entertainment. Like that's that's why my my uh, disbelief cannot be suspended that far. But yeah, hey, it was Germany versus the rest of the world essentially, wasn't it? And that's really the war, though. Pardon? The Nazis won the war, but they overstretched themselves. They were too ambitious. Yeah, because yeah, they wanted to go against Russia. Here we go into yeah. our, our history hole right now. But yeah, they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have broke their pact with Russia, and they would be. We, we would be speaking German right now if they did it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think we've done it. Yeah. Okay. We've done so, it. Um, thank you for um, taking us over the line and uh, getting us a full time result here. Um, just before we finish uh, our analysis. Is there a football uh, film or documentary that deserves a worthy mention? Or yes, I want to. I want to mention the greatest football scene in anything ever, sure. which in Ken Loach's Kez, in which uh, Brian Glover plays the greatest PE teacher ever. A PE yeah. teacher so obsessed with himself and Man United that he uses um, uh, the PE lesson and the kids' football lesson. Basically, just <laughs> run around the pitch, scoring goals for his own glory, not giving a shit about the kids. It's like yeah. the, the ultimate kind of shit PE teacher yeah. um, thing. But it's, it's just pretty. And he's dressed and it brought you if he could, if you know who Brian Glover is, just imagine him. He's all dressed up in his Man United kit as well for the for the um for the game and um for the you know the PE lesson. <laughs> and it's just a fantastic, funny. <laughs> funny seeing everyone to check it out even if they want to watch Kez but they should because Kez is brilliant cool cool I just want to make one recommendation uh, it's a documentary biography about uh, Diego Maradona it's actually two hours and ten minutes uh, came out in 2019 and it was directed by Asif Kapadia who I hope I pronounced that right is also a director of famously other sports documentaries such as Senna and also the Amy Winehouse documentary called Amy and this uh, essentially tells the tale of um, Diego Maradona's rise and fall over five, with high, 500 hours of never forcing footage for a documentary which celebrates a player who played for um, Napoli in the 80s and helped him win the Scudetto title, Barcelona, and also famously Argentina, the national team, to win the World Cup. Uh, I think it's a fascinating documentary. Uh, you get very close to the emotions and the personality of who Diego Maradona was, and you get a lot of good insider moments and anecdotes about how uh, Diego Maradona dealt with some of the darkest chapters of his life. So that'd be my recommendation. Uh, MKH? Uh, same. I, I like Maradona. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We're in agreement. So um, thanks for um, getting to the final whistle and uh, getting into extra time over um, uh, our what, what now seems like blood and balls of uh, football movie history. Um, I'd like to thank my co-presenters, uh, Stephen. No problem. Uh, thank you for taking part, MKH. Uh, peace. I've been your host, TJ, and if you'd like to hear more on the Hot Topic segment of Geeksweb, feel free to Google search or search engine Phrases Geek Sweat, GWKSWEAT, and Hot Topic HOTTOPIC to find further episodes in this segment. Uh, thank you for listening. Your ears are our friends, and we'd like to make friends with you once more in the future. Thanks for listening. Ciao.